0: Good morning, it's good to see you all, I'm thankful to be here this morning, I want you to know that I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart, I love hearing his people sing praises to his name, I love being in worship with y'all, with Memorial Baptist Church, and I love this church family, what a blessing it is, thank you David. I know that uh, God has placed us here, and He's placed you here. And you know, we, we enter into the legacy of, of many that have gone before us. And you know I think the key to understanding the amazing history of our church, uh, this year we celebrate 129 years uh, being in temple. Uh, next year will be our 130th. I mean, wow, That's a long time. I'm the newcomer on the block, you know? Johnny come lately, but I think the key to understanding the amazing history of our church is not necessarily to, to analyze the, the pastors uh, or analyze the budget or, or uh, the numerical growth in size or analyzing our staff or analyzing our demographics or location or any of that. The real key to the story of Memorial Baptist Church, <laughs> I believe, is in its name. You know, the word memorial, it's a, it's a good name. The good name that it is, I would say to you this morning, it's not necessarily distinctive. We think about memorial, we think about, you know, a time of remembrance, maybe uh, a memorial is, is, is something that is done for somebody that we loved or that kind of thing. One definition of memorial is a gift given in remembrance of someone. Um, There's even a holiday later this month um, called Memorial Day, a way of remembering. And so memorial is a good word, but it's really not definitive enough to describe who we are. You know, I think about the word Baptist. Baptist is distinctive, but I would say it's still not distinctive enough. (laughs) You know, there's all kinds of Baptists. I mean, when you say Baptist, you're encompassing all different kinds of Baptists. There's, there's Southern Baptists. There's Northern Baptists. There's Independent Baptists. There's National Baptists. There's Free Will Baptists there's, Baptists. there's Primitive Baptists. There's Separate Baptists. There's Two Seed in the Spirit Predestinarian Baptists. Put that on a business card. No General, Particular Baptists. There's so many different Baptist organizations that it's just endless. So our distinction does not lie in the word memorial, although we believe that's a marvelous word. And our distinction does not also lie in the word Baptist, although the Baptist faith has, uh, defines a theological and spiritual reality for us. The key to understanding our church is to understand the word church. I think that's huge. I think that's important. See, that's what sets us apart. That's the key to our identity. We're not Memorial Baptist Club. We're not Memorial Baptist Self-Help Organization. We're not Memorial Baptist Disaster Relief, although that is good. We're not Memorial Baptist Expo Center. Or we're not Memorial Baptist Philosophical and Religious Advancement Society, or any of those kind of things. We are Memorial Baptist Church. The very name church immediately defines us and who we are. We're compelled by that name because it's not a human name. We have had the privilege of choosing our name and the people basically who founded Memorial Baptist Church did well in choosing that name. And the words Memorial and Baptist are not mandated for us, but what is mandated for us is the word church. We are a church. I love that. That's who we are. We are the church. We aren't... Anything else but a church. And I mean that in in a wonderful way because if you understand what that word means, then you understand what our church is. And that is the key to understanding Memorial Baptist Church. It's the key to our identity. We belong to Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. We are absolutely and completely unique. And when you understand church, you have a definition of who we are and what we are to be in this world that we live in. See, I think all of the above is very important for this reason. We need to understand what God is doing in our world today. See, Memorial Baptist Church is a haven, a home. I want to say a harbor for those in need. For those in need. It's a family for those who may be lonely. It's it's a school for the untaught. It's a fortress of protection for the fearful. It's the open door for those who are shut out. It's a place of love for those who feel unloved. It's a place of peace for those whose lives are in chaos. It's a place of acceptance for those who've been rejected. It's a place of forgiveness for those who are guilty. It's hope for the hopeless. It's a place of light for those in darkness. It's a place of life for those in death. And it's when we've said all that we can say about that, we've said something about how we are viewed by other people, but we really haven't gotten down to the core of what we are. People see us as that lighthouse, the place that is reflecting hopefully God's glory And that's what we want to be about. But you see, our world is a troubled and divided world. Our nation is a troubled and divided nation. Our city is a troubled and divided city. And our churches are just like everything else around us. They're troubled and divided. But you see, God has a purpose for our world. He has a purpose for our nation. He has a purpose for our city and even for our church. A purpose that we must discover and put into practice. And the message of the book of Ephesians is affirming the purpose of God as being hope for our divided world. We so need to hear this today. We need to focus in on the fact that God is doing something in and through us and in our world today. You know, the, the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote the book of Ephesians from prison in Rome about 60 A.D. Possibly sending it to all the churches of Asia Minor at the same time as Colossians, and in just six chapters in the book of Ephesians, all the major themes of Christian doctrine and ethics are covered in those six chapters. Now, in spite of its broad range, in spite of its broad range of subjects, it's it is the letter that, to the Ephesians is something like a pregame plan, if you will. And Paul wrote to the Christians in Asia Minor to pull them together in their understanding of Christian faith and to give them a new vision of God's purpose. Folks, we need a new vision of God's purpose. See, he began, Paul did, describing the exciting project that God was working on. And Paul tells us that God is a planning God. And he makes his plans known To his people. He is a planning God and He makes His plans known to His people. I want you to read with me in in your Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 10. If you have your Bible and want to open up to that or your your iPad or whatever you use for your scripture, open it up here. And uh, we're going to read together in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him, ...to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention... ...which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on earth. Loving Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we humbly bow. We call you Lord. We profess you as our Savior and Lord. We, we call ourselves children of God. We, we call ourselves saints. Father, we belong to you. And we ask Holy Spirit that even now, in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would, would speak to our hearts. Make it plain. Reveal to us your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, I would submit to you this morning that one of God's purposes is the unifying of all of the world. Unifying the divided world together. (laughs) In verse 10 it says that He is summing up all things in Christ. In Christ Jesus, everything comes together. See, God's plan is to build all things together in one in Christ. And, folks, that is a startling plan because dividedness is one of the dominant facts of our existence. I mean, if we don't like something, we separate ourselves. If we feel like something isn't right, we separate ourselves, and and our world is a divided world. Look how many different Baptist churches there are. Look how many different things are divided in our world, whether it's man and wife, whether it's households, whether it's churches, whatever it might be. It's one of the dominant facts of our existence. I mean, the world is divided east and west. The world is divided black and white, rich and poor, labor and management, males and females, old and young, conservative and liberal, traditional and progressive, and countless other ways. Any possibly way, possible way that we could divide ourselves from other people, we do that as people, as humanity. It's very evident. But I want you to know something. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that disunity is not built in to the nature of things. Disunity comes because we live in a fallen world. Because each one of us is tainted with something called sin. And it creates disunity within us. <laughs> See, God did not create it that way. And it doesn't have to stay that way. God is bringing people together by drawing us To himself through Jesus Christ. Folks, that's a beautiful picture. That's beautiful. Here the mystery is. God's plan for uniting all of creation. He's he's summing it all up in Jesus Christ. All divided and warring factions on earth and in the supernatural realm (laughs) will come together together. ...under Jesus Christ. That is why we call him Lord. Is because everyone will come into subjection to Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us every knee will bow, every tongue will confess... ...that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God gave that to him because he was obedient because he was willing to leave his throne in glory and come here and live as a man and live a a sinless life and to die for us, his creation. And because he emptied himself, because of his humility, God lifted him and gave him a name which is above all names. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So, so he's, he's unifying a divided world. He's bringing us all under, under the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. But he's also repairing the, the damage of sin. I love this because in verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. <laughs> according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. I love that. He's repairing the damage of sin. See, the idea of a God of power and purpose giving meaning to life may seem like some people, like it's a fairy tale. You know, like, how could that be? Because I live in this existence down here. How could it be that God would love me so much? That he paid my sin debt. That he gave himself for me. It doesn't make sense to us that God would do that. See, our experience is quite often so far from that, that redeemed quality. Because our world is broken. Our world is bruised. And Christian faith takes into account the the seriousness of our problems. He says there in in this passage, in verse seven, "In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses." Folks, that cannot be underestimated. You know what a trespass is? You see signs that say "No Trespassing." It probably means that you're not allowed on that property. It means that you crossed the line somewhere. When the Bible speaks about our trespasses, it also talks about missing the mark. Because we all fall short of God's glory and we need something that can make us right. We need something that can put us right with God. We need something that can put us on the other side of that fence so that we are no longer trespassing. And so what that means is Jesus Christ did that for us. And that's what he's saying. In him we have redemption through his blood. God has provided an answer that we could never provide. Through the blood of Christ he destroyed the power of evil. And opened a way for new fellowship with him. God the son redeemed us. God the son redeemed us. Y'all aren't hearing me. God the Son redeemed us. We're not going to get what we deserve. We're not going to get what we've earned. Our sin debt has been paid in full. Jesus the Beloved, the One God loves, has redeemed us through His blood. (laughs) See, redemption has with it the idea of ransom ransom from captivity ransom from captivity you know being held captive and being offered and being being in exchanged a, a, a valuable sum of money being exchanged in 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 lieu of our freedom being given for our freedom and that's really what this this idea of redemption is 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 Transferring that that ransom for our captivity. Prisoners being released from captivity. Because you see, without Jesus Christ, we are captives to our sin. But Jesus Christ came that we might be free. That we might be made free. See, redemption is a hard concept. It's very harsh. We don't like to think of anybody... Being punished for what we've done. We're pretty good people. We help our neighbor out. We live a good life. We, we try to do what's right. We, we vote. We do the things that we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do them. And so we're pretty good people. And we don't believe that anyone would, des- would, would deserve hell. You need to understand that God has fixed a day. And one of these days, King Jesus is going to return. And I don't think it's that far in the future. But the problem is, is we don't know how much time we have. But one of these days, the gig is going to be up. Jesus is going to return. And he's going to reign. And all of creation is going to be under his authority. See, sometimes people like to see Jesus as a a good teacher. You know, a good example, a good teacher. Somebody we could follow. We follow him because he gave his life for us. We follow him because he has freed us from captivity. And the one who has freed us can deliver us. He can take us where we need to be with God for all eternity. But see, we don't think that we've been forgiven from all that much. But I guarantee you one split second in hell and we will realize what he has done for us. And therefore we need to live according to that because God the Son has redeemed us. He has made a way for us. I love that because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no redemption of our sins either you pay the price or he pays the price but one way or another the debt will be satisfied see When we talk about the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, usually that's seen as God taking away our guilt. You know, we don't feel bad about it anymore. He relieved us of that. But He not only took our guilt, He took our shame. And He took the sin itself and carried it from us. (laughs) See, redemption... Redemption and forgiveness are unmerited gifts from God. We don't deserve it. It's by His grace. Even our faith, our faith in Him is a gift of His grace. See, by accepting this, we accept forgiveness as an undeserved gift because we're all sinners and we all deserve to die. But one of God's purposes in this is, yes, he's summing all of creation up under his son, Jesus, under the lordship of Christ. He's also made a way for us to be forgiven and taken. um, Our freedom has been purchased for us so that we are no longer captives. But he's also forming a family. (laughs) He's putting us together in that Verse 5 says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. When we talk about the called, that Christ has called you, remember it's a synonym for the church. Those who are called out, those who are called out from the masses. Those who are called out. And we're called. We are called by God. And something that I want you to know is that we have been called before. (laughs) We've been called before. Each one of us has been called before. We are called before. And in verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as He chose us before the foundation of the world. (laughs) See, we were called before. (laughs) This group of believing people was called by God. Initially chosen by God before the foundation of the world. We are called before. And obviously, the actual calling came in time. A time... But the plan for that calling was established before the foundation of the world. We were called into the purposes of God before. That calling wasn't realized until the time came when we were born. We grew up and we heard the gospel and the Spirit prompted us. And we believed and we were added to the church. We were called before Outside of time. But we are called because we live in this time. But in the plan of God, that calling was established in eternity past. But understand this, that divine election, this predestination to adoption as sons, that divine election is very, very personal. God knows your name. He knows everything about you. When it says that He foreknew us, it means that He entered into that divine, excuse me, that intimate relationship with us. And that relationship is a relationship of love. And it's a sovereign kind of love that He loves us intimately. And and it's a kind of love that He set upon us. He called us before the foundation of the world. And then we recognize that love, and when we recognize that love, we prompted by the Spirit, we come to Him. And and I want to say it's kind of like the love a man has for a woman, and a woman has for a man. Don't hear what I'm not saying, just focus what I'm saying. Men don't, in selecting a wife, I can't speak for the ladies, but I can speak for the men. Men in selecting a wife don't say, for instance. Now I know 42 women. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Well, it turned out to be Matilda. I kind of thought it might turn out to be someone else. But it turned out to be Matilda. No, no, it doesn't work that way. In fact, when we choose a wife... We, choose, we don't even choose on the basis of, you know, is she a good cook? Does she have a good bank account? Is she good looking? Would she care for me when I'm sick? Does she have compassion? Is she stylish in the clothes that she wears? Is she frugal? Gentlemen, don't get those two words, frugal and frumpy, mixed up. They're different words. Look them up if you don't know. Don't misuse those words. Frugal. Is she frugal? Has she got a good job? We don't even ask those questions. We don't do it that way. Some of us might be better off if we did, but we don't do it that way. We fall in love. We fall in love with that person. And in fact, you will see individuals who have had the opportunity to marry someone who was rich or beautiful or had a good job. Instead, they married someone that we might say, well, they're not so beautiful. But you know what? They fell in love with them. And that's why they got married is because they fell in love. They're happily married. I love that. You see, divine love is like that. When God set his love upon us, it was like a person falling in love with someone else. It's very personal. It's very wonderful. So it's not something that's impersonal. It's not something that's by chance. It's not chance when love takes place. And it's certainly not insignificant. I think it's very insignificant that almighty God, creator of the universe... Creator of everything that is loves me. And he cares about me. And he made a way where I could be with him. You know, there are people. Sometimes you pour your life into them, and things get discouraging. I mean, they come and they sit under teaching and they just never seem to grow. You get concerned about them, but it seems like whatever you pour into their life, they, they listen to it and then they lose it all before they get to their car in the parking lot. That can be discouraging. They come with a thimble and somehow they trip and stumble before they get to their car in the parking lot and they lose everything that you poured in. That's discouraging. There are people you know that you pour your life into them for years and then all of a sudden something bizarre happens. They go off the deep end. They they do some kind of bizarre sinful thing and you don't understand why. That's discouraging. Because you want life for them. You want them to be all in. We get discouraged when there's disappointments at levels of leadership. There's disappointment in, you know, when, when the financial area isn't where it needs to be. And it hinders us from doing the things that we want to do, need to do. But you know, all of this is very, a very small thing to me. The discouragement, anything like that. Because God loves me. He set his love on me. You know, people might ask how you deal with criticism. And I want to say this. Is it really runs off like water off an Oregon duck's back. Because this whole thing is way far beyond me. If it were left to me to build a church, there wouldn't be one. One. Because I can't do that. Jesus said he would build his church, and I'm not about to compete with Jesus. I can't build the church. None of us can build the church. But there's a great sense of eternity unfolding in this family. I think it's just thrilling. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we're part of something way beyond us. We're not responsible for the successes. All we can do is muck it up by our disobedience. See, he calls us to obedience. He calls us to do the things that we need to do. But it's a small little place in terms of the world. It may not be like some big church out there that that we think is changing the world. But in comparison, this is a small place in our city. It's a small place in our nation. It's a small place in our world. But we are building a history together with God. Each one of us. We're building our relationship with Him while we toil, while we struggle in this life, on this earth. It's not only a small place, but it's a small window of time. A few years, hopefully decades of ministry that God has given to us at the end of His redemptive history. See, we're coming in late in time when the sun is about to return. And he's going to reign victorious over it all. See, what I'm asking you here this morning is to look up from your cell phone. It's to look up from your busyness and really look to see God's purposes and to see why you're here And what in the world is God doing today? Because I believe that God loves you and God loves me. And he wants us to be a part of his family. And I'm asking you to begin investing in eternal purposes like you've never done before. Go all in with God. Whatever that looks like being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for your word. And Father, it's very challenging because we've been lulled to sleep by the cares of this life and by the cares of this world. Father, I pray that you would wake up your church I pray, Father, that you would wake us up, that you would stir our hearts. Father, that we would see the love that you have for us, that you have lavished upon us. Father, you pulled out all the stops. You made a clear path to you for each one of us. If we will accept that, if we will receive that and profess Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Father, You have made a way for us. I pray, Father, that this morning, in the time that remains, that You would call us once again to Yourself. Father, for such a time as this, that Your people who are called by Your name would humble themselves and pray, And seek your face. Father that. You would heal our land. Father that you would bring healing. To a divided world. Father that you would bring healing. To husband and wife. That you would bring healing to a divided family. Father that you would bring healing. To a divided heart. God that we would no longer be lonely. Father that we would find our place. That we would find our place in the family. Father, that we would be a part of your family. God, that you would reconcile all things under the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for our marriages. I pray for our homes. I pray for our students. I pray for our children. Father, I pray for those that are estranged from our families. Father, I ask that you would bring about a spirit of reconciliation, a spirit of togetherness, a spirit of redemption and ransom. And God, that truly you would set the captives free. In our lives and in our homes, in our schools and in our world. Father, in our nation. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, use this time as we seek you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.